Run if you must. Hide if you can. Scream if you are able. But above all, if you are alone, don't let them catch you. <laughs> the Slashers. Welcome to The Slashers, a podcast where three film critics with wildly different tastes delve into the golden age of the genre year by year and present awards. We've already done all that. So this is our epilogue. This is the triumphant finale of The Slashers, this limited series run. We're going to go through the best of the best of the best from 1980 to 1984, according to us, based on the movies we watched. I'm Jason from Binge Movies. I'm Paul from The Countdown. And I'm Megan from Spoiler Piece Theater. All right, folks. My compadre and compadra. (laughs) (laughs) What are your overall impressions of 1980 to 1984, The Slashers? Megan, let's start with you. All right. Well, I had already loved Slashers. Loved them since I was a kid. And they always kind of had a soft spot in my heart, even though I don't always watch old slashers anymore. Occasionally, some I revisit. But re-watching this many slashers in such a concentrated period of time and watching so many new-to-me slashers, it gave like, – you know, it's funny because there are certainly – patterns that we witness mm. over and over like i know we joke about the police <laughs> procedural like how that comes up over and over and over again which is you know which makes sense because of course as you said right from the start jason you know these films started or were inspired by the creamy you know genre which is a crime genre so it makes sense that they would have police procedurals and there are those tropes and there are those elements but it's also interesting to see other things like we were talking about in the last episode the initiation and Nightmare on Elm Street, which are dealing with sleep studies and like how you see that and how there are certain themes that that keep arising throughout the genre. And for me, I feel like I have become even more protective of slashers. So even though there are some slashers that did not resonate with me or that I did not enjoy, I still have a soft spot in my heart even for those. And I don't know if I have done, I was thinking about this, I don't know if I have done as good a job as I would have liked to express that, that even if I don't like something, even if I don't like how it was shot or how it was acted, I still have a soft spot for these movies because sometimes they're silly, sometimes they're risky and they're innovative, and a lot of times they're creative and they're scrappy. And horror is a genre that always, I've said this before, I will say it probably many times again, it always resonates with me because it's dealing with such visceral emotions like fear and revenge and trauma. And it does so in such a arresting, surprising, shocking way. And I love that about the genre. And in slashers especially, I just I have this now newfound defensiveness. It's funny because I live in Boston and I'm not originally from here, but I've lived here for over 20 years. And 
people joke that when you are when you live in Boston or you're from Boston, you can talk shit about this city, but nobody else can. <laughs> like if you're not from here, if you don't live here, you can't do that. And that's kind of how I feel yeah. about slashers. Like if you love slashers, you can criticize it, you can talk shit, but if you don't, you can't. And I don't know, I feel just kind of more protective about it, which I was not expecting <laughs> to feel. The idea that we that Megan is now protective of Sledgehammer. <laughs> wow. <laughs> What an accomplishment. <laughs> she finally came around to Sledgehammer. Uh, oh, Sledgehammer. Oh, no. Oh, no. Let's not spoil too much. <laughs> Paul, <laughs> Paul, what about you? Look, that was very eloquent, Megan. I'm not sure I can I can be so verbose and, and in a helpful and in, in insightful way. <laughs> I think this is a hell of a journey. And <laughs> like yeah. that, that Jason, which we've got to give full credit to, curated this list and started yes. with every slasher ever made, and I and I made him pair it back, and and we came up with with these this wide array yeah. of films, and there are some lows. I, I have to be honest, I to hang a hat on this a little bit more. This epilogue episode, we all sort of adopted a particular stance, and maybe I went a bit too hard at times, <laughs> but I am the the harsh person, the <laughs> critic, the the what the really critical voice of negativity and I, I do a bit of that on my show too and there are some absolute stinkers among this group but what i come to realize is that you probably shouldn't watch 40 of these things in a very short period of time <laughs> <laughs> uh, you should pair them out you know it's a lesson that marvel are learning it's a lesson that we've learned yes yes <laughs> and look too many police procedurals as, as megan also pointed out but what I, what I really did appreciate, what I really enjoyed is these discussions and coming together with the two of you to just to talk about slashes, this subgenre of my favorite genre of all time. It's horror by a million miles. And then, I don't know, probably action and, and thrillers sort of coming way, way behind them. And then the subgenre of the slasher is something which, as you've learned, if you've listened through these episodes, there's a bunch of these I'd never seen before. There's a few that I'd never even heard of before. So this has been an eye-opening experience for me. Some of it's been difficult in terms of the watching, but the discussion, the back and forth around it, it's opened my eyes to some things along the way. And I want to thank you both for doing that. And uh, I hope it's been enjoyable for, for people to go on this journey with us. Just no more fucking police procedural slashes. That's my emphatic point. <laughs> Paul, I just want to say you led by saying, oh, I'm not going to be as <laughs> yeah. you know eloquent and articulate. And then you like said stuff that almost made me oh. cry. Like, what are you talking about? That was so nice. Oh, and now I feel like a jerk because I didn't think. Well, you're welcome. I didn't think you guys because I didn't think we were at that. Oh, I'm point sure we'll yet. come back at the end. I'm just jumping ahead. <laughs> Spoilers. All that means is Paul's already Paul's already writing us off right at the beginning, right off the top. It's been a wonderful journey. It's spent so Bye. much. Well, we haven't we haven't discussed the you. particulars of season two, so I guess we'll God do that. Bless off. you in your future endeavors. <laughs> Um, that, <laughs> which in Jason Myers' case is next week, Hellraiser Part Two. But okay, this, that's right. Uh, you that's last true. Week, you guys are last week. Sorry, yeah. Last week yes. yeah. You left off. You said you went through action and all this sort of stuff. You left off Swedish erotica. Paul. Oh yeah, that's a I mean, big. Sorry. That's an omission. <laughs> Love genre number four. <laughs> yeah, Swedish in particular. Yeah, yeah. Narrowly ahead of German. <laughs> I'm more of a hygiene film, pre-code <laughs> hygiene film guy, the nudie cuties or whatever. 
<laughs> You're more of a Swedish erotica guy, you know. Meatballs, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I think we lost Megan. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit. <clears throat> oh my god. That was a curveball I did not I did not see coming. There was a twist. <laughs> <laughs> I would be lying if I said there weren't times that I was done with the the week's viewing and I didn't have a migraine or a headache from watching these movies. It's all laugh at Jason's pain. <laughs> I'm laughing. It's all right. So yes, I. It's like ice cream is great. Ice cream every day yes, for every meal. That's a good way of putting it. You're gonna eventually be like, I, it's a lot. I don't want any more ice cream. <laughs> I don't care what the flavor is. Take a break for a while. I need. Yeah, I'm done with ice cream for a while. <laughs> and I said it on um, 83 or 82, where I was like, I have. I now can kind of sympathize with like Siskel and Ebert who like every week on at the movies were like another one of these tired slashers <laughs> because they were going to all of them, you know, or at least a lot of them that were getting wide release. And they, you know, the film critics of the era had to review all of these movies. I do think it's funny in retrospect. And I know that times change and mores change and what we're comfortable with changes or whatever, but there's more gore in a five-minute section of any episode of The Boys than most of these slashers. Yes. Yes. So many of them are bloodless or next to bloodless. Mm, and we haven't even got into the heavy MP MPAA censorship years. That's like 85 forward. And so it's like there's way more that's implied than their reputation would lead you to believe. Even some of the so-called video nasties, like, Paul, you're like, this is a video nasty? Mm. It's like, what the hell? There's no blood in it. There's no blood. It's like, well, there's like, it's just, there was such a hysteria and a, and a, I don't know what against this subgenre that it was, it's illogical looking back on it. It, it is some kind of a bias because the vast majority of them are glorified murder mysteries. They're, they're slightly gorier, yes. slightly Procedural. sexier, quote unquote. Yes. <laughs> Like we keep saying that, but that's really the truth. It's what they are, most of them. And yeah. but within twenty years, this would be Law and Order or Law and Order SVU. <laughs> you know, it's just like, yeah, God Almighty, yes. there are scarier episodes of CSI than some of these movies. You know, and that's just on TV now. So I think that this whole genre got got slapped with a label very early on, and could never yeah. shake it in the minds of popular criticism. It's only later that there was a reappraisal of all of this. And so that was my big, I kind of already had a sense of that, right? But to really go through it year by year, month by month, it's like, what the fuck were you people going on about? <laughs> what the fuck? It was just so overblown. So most of them are murder mysteries. A lot of them are not very good murder mysteries. Murder mysteries are tough. Some of them are very close to an episode of Murder, She Wrote. So they just got boobs in them. That's kind of... Some of them don't even have boobs. They just have a Murder, She Wrote plot and some blood. Yeah. So are there any misconceptions about slashers that you would like to dispel to people who are not likely listening to this show? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Go ahead, Megan. What what's like a oh, okay. well? No, what's a what, is there a misconception? You're like, we gotta get this off the table. That 
you know, yes. about slashers. Yes. So I think kind of piggybacking on what you said, Jason, where you were talking about how slashers got a label right away. I would argue or not argue, but I would agree. And I would add, I think the entire horror genre has always kind of mm. been maligned by film critics who don't deal in genre and who don't understand the history of horror or don't watch a lot of horror. It's been maligned by the public a lot of times. And of course, there are hardcore fans or even not hardcore fans, but like casual fans. Like so, but I think there's a segment of the population that's like, oh, horror, that's not for me or oh, horror, that's not as serious or that's not as well made or well crafted. And I think that's a huge misconception about horror in general, but especially the slasher genre, because watching so many of these, even amongst the ones that are not arguably successful um, and of course, that's open for interpretation. But even amongst those, there is a level of commitment and creativity and craftsmanship. And I really appreciate that. And so I think that slashers should not be written off. They shouldn't just be watched by people who like slashers. I think they should be watched by all people. I mean, and I say that kind of loosely because not everybody – not everybody enjoys horror. Not everybody enjoys gore. But it is funny thinking about the, these films because so many of them don't have gore. So many of them are, you know, very tame in comparison to a lot of other films and a lot of the violence and brutality and other TV series. So, but I think that's a big misconception that that they they somehow lack gravitas or craftsmanship. And I don't think that that's the case at all. Paul, any myths you want to dispel? Look, having I, I went back through my letterbox and I, at the time of sort of compiling this this epilogue episode, I'd watched 185 films of the year. And normally, I watch around about a third of the films that I choose to watch are horror films. This year, with thanks to this particular series and with a little bit of a, a shout out to the Hellraiser series, it's more like half. So there's been a lot of horror in my life in these last few months, and so I think what I really want to dispel. And, and I don't want to do a disservice to our audience who are the people that will say this, but the golden age of the slasher, as we have deemed and dubbed this era of the early 80s, it's not all good. Like, I think there's that tendency, I think you, Jason, you spoke about it on a recent episode of, of Binge, and you were talking about how everyone talks about mid-tier films. We wish they were all back because they're all awesome. And maybe it's even, this episode, maybe it was even Silent Rage, actually, now that I think about it. You, you mentioned this point. Yeah. I really wanted to emphasize that, that, there are some incredible movies, not just in this curated list of 35, whatever it was, films that we watched, but in the whole slasher subgenre, and they prop up this golden age. But when you actually dive deep down into it, gee, there's some rough moments. There, there really, really is. And all joking aside, it's almost impossible to defend them as good films. They might be entertaining. You might love them because of a particular element or style or just how bad that it is, and I don't fault you for that dear listener but wow to tell you i wish it was back to that way i think you're overlooking a large proportion <laughs> of what the what yeah. the subgenre was really like but that's the same with anything when people talk about like the erotic thrillers gone no one makes erotic thrillers anymore they're certainly not to the the studio level where they appear in in theaters there's no r-rated you know psycho babble thrillery you know nudity of of all the rest of, none of those films make it anymore too because they just don't get made and everyone goes oh that was so good no they weren't most of them were trash except basic instinct <laughs> so that kind of thing or 
which is doing a bait for Jason. But yeah, I guess the point is that yeah, likewise, gross out comedies, there's very few of them these days too. So there's things that have had their time and they've moved on. They're not all as good as you remember, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Uh, but I'm glad that we could find the diamonds in the rough that really do prop up that genre because, gee, did we find them here? We're about to talk about them in very short order. Yes. On that note, I couldn't agree more. I think we we go to to some awards here and uh, we're going to do this yearbook style. So a lot of superlatives. Well, let's start with killers and kills. Since we did it year by year, let's let's award some yearbook style awards. Starting with uh, Paul, I'm going to start with you. Sure. The most athletic killer. All the movies we watch for the show, who's the most athletic, virile, <laughs> agile? <laughs> Okay. A potential Olympic hopeful, maybe? Well, funny you should say that. <laughs> my, my question runner-up is a the javelin thrower in Fatal Games. Yes. Because their throwing of that javelin, some you know, 100, 150 meters would not only earn them a world record, but the accuracy with which they managed to throw that thing is pretty incredible. Incredible, sorry. But the... The winner for me of Most Athletic Killer is the main killer. And I'm being vague a little bit here for spoilers for or from the final terror. Because the way that person keeps up with the group oh, that's a good call. in the canoe that's and a stalks good them one. soundlessly through the forest yes. over miles and miles. I can't yes. remember what they do say in the film how far they've got to travel. Without being seen or or glimpsed is nigh on incredible. And, and of course, carrying a, a bound captive as well for most of that uh, that runtime. So kudos to, to that person and all with leaves for shoes yeah. <laughs> i don't know why i'm being vague because you're not listening to this if you haven't listened to the uh, all the other episodes so. <laughs> that's, that, that's all right that's all right megan uh, how about you that was a good that's a good one paul thank you i know my pick pales in comparison to both of those picks but like, those are so good i love them my pick because i cannot get over this absurd kill of the throwing of the body on the car. <laughs> home sweet home. <laughs> yes. Body by Jake. Jake Steinfeld. Yes. <laughs> made Jason's he put night. everything into that kill. Yes. Very athletic. Everything. That's such a great yes. call, Megan. <laughs> uh, he's you. the only slasher that I know of that was also like a fitness influencer. Oh my god, that's true. Both of the <laughs> both of your picks were right in front of me. I have the worst pick for this. <laughs> I have the worst oh. pick for this. Sure, okay. it's not. Did you have a runner-up, Megan, or, or was that your your one and done? No, okay. that was my pick. That was it. <laughs> Athletic. I'm thinking about somebody who <laughs> works hard. I'm thinking about somebody who gets sweaty. I'm thinking about somebody who maybe has oh, to carry something heavy and is swinging something heavy. Right. And so I picked the miner from right. My Bloody Valentine. Yeah, okay. And he's also kind of quick, but your guys' are so much better. Yeah, I, I, I can say what you're I want to abdicate. Oh, that's a good I, one. I'm abdicating. And I was going to go with Paul because that, that's a really good pick. But I'm going to go with Megan. Of course you are. Jake Steinfeld oh. is the most athletic killer. He does I one my thing. And I, yeah. He does it very well. Yeah. Yes. Okay. How about the most unforgettable kill? It doesn't have to be the best kill, but of all of the gore and viscera and guts and bloodletting, 
all the things that Paul loves <laughs> so, so much. Craves and needs Craves. in his life. <laughs> um, He's got to have it. <laughs> every movie that didn't have it, he was like, there's not enough blood. There wasn't enough kills. So that sounds like a crave to me. What's the most unforgettable kill of the series for you? Uh, Megan, let's start with you this time. So this one, I did have a couple runners up. Um, I thought about the raft killing mm. and the burning, because that's such a striking oh. one. Um, I thought about Tina's death in A Nightmare on Elm Street, where her, as we talked about in the last episode, her body is being invisibly slashed and tossed about the room. But I got to give it to Nightmare on Elm Street, the being yeah. sucked into the bed, Glenn being sucked in, and then the fountain of blood gushing on the ceiling. That is, a, I said this before, and I will say it again. That scene has been burned on my brain since childhood. Yep. It li- just was terrifying and stunning. Yep. Yep. Excellent choice. And my, my runner-up, actually. Thank you. Although, Jason, did you want to go next? No, Paul, you go. So that was my runner-up. Glenn's death, Johnny Depp making a very big impression. <laughs> Sets him on his career path. Off he went from there. My most, because I went literal with this category, most unforgettable kill as opposed to the best kill. And my most unforgettable yep. kill has to be poor, poor Kitty in the New York Ripper when she gets that scalpel. Right there with you. Yeah, scalpel down the face, through the eyeball, the nipple, all the rest of it. Just brutal and awful and disturbing and shower-worthy. So that that was my choice. Absolutely unforgettable. That's an excellent choice. Nobody eviscerates eyeballs in their movies like the Italians. Lucio Fulci. And Lucio Fulci in particular. <laughs> Lucio Fulci is the master of making you uncomfortable as uh, eye is sliced or gouged or whatever in long, non-cutting away shots. Uh, yeah. Not enjoyable. No. Nope. Not necessarily the best. Although it's a pretty good good one technically, mm-hmm. but certainly That's unforgettable. One, that yeah. is my vote. Well. Hey, yep. I'm right go. there with you. Yep. Yay! All right, now let me explain this pick. next one, Paul, because <laughs> I didn't do a great job explaining this. Let's see what I went with then. This is not necessarily <laughs> the 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 killer that has the best memes of them. This is if the killer were a real person, who would be the best at memes? Oh, <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> Oh, that might, yeah. that might so change. more about their personality. Wrong. Who would have the best <laughs> social media work. presence and meme dropping oh, and all I, that sort of stuff? Does that make sense? It does. I've got it. Yes. I didn't do a good job yes. writing it up, but that's it. Okay. Paul, uh, we, 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 who do I switch off with? Is it Megan? Is it your turn? It's, my, my, it's turn? me first this time if you're not going to jump uh, okay. out there first. Uh, Paul, go ahead. So, look, I didn't get that briefing, so, but this might still work, that's so I'm just going to stick with my answer. Fail. So I'm going with even though, forget their age range for a moment and more about their message. I'm going with farmer Vincent Smith and his sister Ida from Motel oh! Hell. <laughs> <laughs> yes! Because I think they yes! have a lot of memes around their environmental work that they were doing and yes! how they're feeding the world. And yeah, they'd be all over social media trying to prop their burgers and, and the meat that yes, they are. Yes, they would. <laughs> oh, my God. And they'd be on back page if that still exists on Craigslist. <laughs> oh. <but> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That is Thank a you. good one, Paul. Megan, how about you? Who? What killer would be the best at memes? <laughs> so, 
So I also misinterpreted this and thought it would be the killers who would have the memes about them. So I am pivoting, and that is an excellent answer, Paul. Mine will pale in comparison. But oh, my pick is Billy from Rocktober Blood and all <laughs> of his absurd oh, one-liners. Yeah. That's good. That's very good. Oh, thank That's you. That's good. <laughs> Oh, and you know Billy. Based on his comments, he would be like Andrew Tate. Like he would oh, be like yeah. men's rights, yes. twin brothers' yes. rights activist. <laughs> what was that? Look, okay, this 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 line taken out of context is super gross. But what was the line he said again? I want to bathe in your pussy blood. Yes, I want like your pussy blood on my face, or I want to bathe it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Oh, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Could you imagine Billy's the DMs that would come out if Billy had a Twitter account oh or Instagram? The, the stuff that he would be sending people. <laughs> oh oh my god! Yeah. Okay. I think the killer who would be the best at memeing, posting memes, have incredible social media influence. Is Fred Krueger? Yeah, okay. Because all of his quips, yeah, his yeah. taunts, <laughs> he's such a visual guy. You know, he plays around with visual stuff. He's got sick sense of humor. <laughs> yep, this works. is how it's twisted. I think Freddy, if Fred Krueger was a real guy, and even if he's a dream demon, I think he'd play like <laughs> gangbusters on Twitter. Don't oh, you think yeah. he would, like? He was rush at Twitter. He, he would he was, ratio people. <laughs> he was my original pick for me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. then I second guessed myself. But yes, I agree. I especially in the later films, but even from the first one. Yeah. Yes, I agree. I agree. Oh my Jason. gosh! Yeah, he's a troll. Yeah. He is the ultimate he troll. He cuts his own fingers troll. off and laughs at her. You know, he's like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In the first one, yeah, he's just a sicko, and and the algorithm would love. A, a real life uh, filthy child oh murderer. Oh my god! Uh, <laughs> well, that's disturbing. That <laughs> it's is the truth, though. I was like, not wrong, though. Not wrong. <laughs> okay, we're we're getting down on the wire here for the killer segment of the show. Who is the best killer? If there's a prom king or prom queen of the killers <laughs> from this series, who's the best killer? Uh, Megan, let's start with you. I'm going with an iconic classic, Freddy Krueger. Yeah. I thought you might go um, Mrs. Voorhees. I thought about her. I did. I did think about her because she's also iconic as well, of course. And, you know, the whole gender twist is great. And, like, the fact that she's, you know, looks like a sweet, you know, little lady, an apple pie mom. Yeah, I did think about her. But, yeah, but, no, my – I went with – I went with went with Freddy Krueger just because of our discussion about sleep and the vulnerability of sleep and kind of his how innovative he is and his quips, kind of everything packaged together. Can't knock it. Paul? It's the obvious choice. And therefore, I think I was starting to feel a little bit like, yeah, this is all going to be a Nightmare on Elm Street, the shout out episode <laughs> if we're not careful. So I, I went in a slightly different direction whilst acknowledging the amazing Fred Krueger in terms of what he's done and what he would do for the horror genre and the slasher genre in particular. So I pivoted to go to My Bloody Valentine and the Masked Miner, a.k.a. Axel, for – he's my left real choice for a couple of reasons. One, he kills like a dozen people in that movie. He kills a lot of yes, people. Yes, he does. <laughs> and yes. they're mostly fantastically yeah. gory in very impressive ways. I think we were all kind of blown away by how many good kills there were in that, in that particular film. Technically, he doesn't die. Yeah, obviously, he's insane and he You're cuts right. his own arm off. He escapes. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so, theoretically, yeah. though, we never got the sequel. We got the remake in whatever year it was, of course. But technically, 
he could come back and uh, wreak further havoc if they had chosen to to go that way. Of course, he would have to be a little bit more inventive with some of his kills rather than swinging a big pickaxe very strongly, but still, because they only have one arm with which to do it. But yeah, I thought that uh, he was my ultimately my favorite killer, maybe because he was so out of the blue for me and uh, I was so impressed with that film. I think you bring him back, but this time he's the hero. Oh, wow. <laughs> you're going you're to saw, saw exit, are you? Okay. You're going to saw exit, don't breathe too. <laughs> he's the hero. Yeah, oh, there you go. That's a um, better example. <laughs> the best killer. Okay. He's my boyfriend now, Nancy. I got to go with Fred Krueger. Fair enough. Yes! <laughs> okay. Now, this is a fun one. Yep. Not intended to diagnose anybody on this show. <laughs> Paul? You might actually be able to diagnose this on this show, but we ask that you don't. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you, <laughs> if your co-host were slasher villains, if they were killers, what kind of killer would we be? <laughs> you can pick either one of us to go first. Doesn't matter. Here are your options. An Avenger of Injustice. Perceived or real? Doesn't have, Whatever. To some kind of avenging force. A sensitive psychopath sort of a Norman Bates kind of a mass mountain yokel. We've had more than a few mass mountain yokels, mm-hmm. a driller killer or a knife wielding night ripper. Why don't you go first, Jason, this time? I'm fascinated. This, <laughs> this is hilarious. I'm fascinated. You want me to yeah. uh, categorize you? Yeah. And, Ma- and Megan, of course. This was the easiest part for me of all of this. This was for me too. That's funny because you say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Megan, I think, is the Avenger. Ooh. Yeah! <laughs> She's the Avenger of Injustice. I went different. Mm-hmm. I had Megan as oh. the sensitive psychopath. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take either one. <laughs> I'll take them both. And Paul, you are very precise. You are very um, structure-oriented. You're very clean-cut. You're very professional. You're very white-collar. You're a knife-wielding night ripper. Okay. You slink out in the night, and people it's unsuspecting. And they see the reflection in your glasses as you slash, <laughs> literally slash them with a straight razor, probably. I can live with that. Well, others wouldn't, yeah. but I could. We would. <laughs> <laughs> I could live with that. <laughs> All right, Paul. What would say you about us? Well, as I said, Megan, I thought sensitive psychopath because it brings that sensitivity and who knows what lies behind that lovely, warm exterior and what could happen when uh, when Megan is wronged. Maybe there's people in her life who could tell us, but that's the one that sort of spoke. (laughs) No, no. they can't tell us where they're at. (laughs) Jason, I must admit to having more trouble with. I had a couple of categories <laughs> oh. I was back and forthing with. Like I, I, Jason strikes me as physically intimidating, so I thought a bit of the masked mountain yokel. But actually, at the end of the day, <laughs> I went with the driller killer. Because if Jason's going for something, as we've learned, he's going to go whole hog. He's not stopping <laughs> at just slashing someone easily. He's going to go <laughs> literally to the depths of someone's body cavity <laughs> by being a driller yes. killer. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Megan, what do you say? I think this is amazing because there's a lot of overlap, but for very different reasons, which I kind of love. So 
Paul, I chose the knife wielding night ripper for you. Not for the same reasons, though, because you okay. uh, you love gore and you're very yep. traditional about your slashers. So I'm like, that's a traditional killer. So that's what okay. I thought. Good and boy. Yep. Thank you. And then Jason, I also was a little torn because I like Mountain Man because like, you know, I, I don't know, just kind of like muscular. I don't know. I kind of got that vibe. But that's not what I went with. What I went with also was the driller killer <laughs> because hey. I thought – you would pick something if you were a serial killer. You would pick an unusual <laughs> weapon of choice because you like you're you're unusual and like to be more quirky. <laughs> that works. Okay, that works. So I thought of when I thought about myself, I was like, well, what? Because immediately I was like, well, I'd be the killer. <laughs> there you go. Yes, yes. For the exact same reasons, both of you said, I was like, well. I'd be an unusual implement. I'd go on and on and on and on and on about it. What goes on and on and on and on in circles? A drill. Yeah. That is amazing. Amazing. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Megan, did you self-assess? Did. Did, did you have like, yeah. What, what, what would you think of yourself? The Avenger of Injustice. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. Yes. And Paul, what about you? Yeah. If you had to self-select? Either the knife wielding Night Ripper or perhaps an Avenger of Injustice, because I do have that yeah! kind of streak through me. Might not come out in these episodes, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> that is incredible. Okay, all right. So apparently we know each other a, probably, a little bit better. Good job. Maybe apparently. We thought, yeah. <laughs> uh, That's a good one. Very okay, good question. it's time. I love that question. It's time to look <laughs> it's time to look at our final girls in quotation marks, because they don't have to be female. They usually are. Uh, here's this one. <laughs> Most likely to write a best-selling memoir, and memoir, and that's after, of course, the events of the trauma. Yep. Right? Who came out of their film, survived all that horrible trauma, and wrote a best-selling book about it? Paul, let's start with you. You're gonna be very happy with this answer, Jason. I think I'm going with Billy Lynch from Butcher Maker Nightmare, Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker. <laughs> Just, that's my pick as well. <laughs> what, what kind he of book would that book. be? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It would be all, it'd be, it, it, I, I was trying to think of the title and it would have something to do with like staying out of the closet because he never had needed to come out because he was never in the closet, yeah. yep. but they were trying to put him in. They were trying to put him in the closet. And, and yeah. Uh, so uh, yes, I'm right there with you. Whatever the title is, it would be better than Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker. <laughs> it would have more relevance and make more sense. Or night warnings. What does that mean? Good question. All right. <laughs> All right, Megan. Who wrote the best-selling memoir after their Well, I went with the journalist. I went with Deborah in Visiting Hours. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes! That makes perfect sense. Oh, yes. For just oh, a second, I thought yes, you were going to you... say the journalist in Deadly Games. I'm like, oh, God, oh. no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. No, that's a great pick. She would be on the lecturing yes. circuit. Oh, yeah. She'd be speaking at rallies. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yes. Good choice. Very good Incredible. Choice. All right. Uh, just like high school, who was the cutest couple of all of the couples? We saw a lot of coupling going on consensually and unfortunately non consensually mm. in these movies. But who was the cutest? Who was actually endearing and you found the relationship uh, cute? Paul, since it. You seem the least likely to be able to answer that question. I'll start with you. 
Well, it's quite obviously going to be Billy and his mum. No, no. It's going to be... Uh, <laughs> I don't want to steal you on Sunday, so I'll just go with my final answer. Nancy and Glenn from A Nightmare on Elm Street. Megan? Yeah, so I didn't have a romantic couple because I didn't like any of them. But if I had to pick, I would go with Nancy and Glenn. But what's funny is what I thought about was I really liked the women working together as friends in Slumber Party Massacre. So th- it's it's funny that that resonated with me more than any of the romantic couples. Sure. I did pick Billy and Aunt Cheryl. <laughs> you did? Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. There's your left field. Pick. I 100% did. Yeah. That was such a twist I did oh. not see coming. <laughs> well, and I did spoil it. You got to drink your You got to drink your milk, Billy. He's all jumped Oh, my God. Oh, my God. She's, when she's trailing him with the, the the phone cord, oh my God. she's like, who are you going to call, Billy? You little bastard, I'll kill you. You're, you're going to be forever. <laughs> I'm your mommy. Oh, I'm going to kill you. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Paul, feel free to diagnose oh. me after. Oh. Yeah, I'm trying to turn that part of the brain off, but it's getting more and more difficult. <laughs> <laughs> uh, of all of our final girls, including Billy, who was the bravest? Uh, Megan, who was the bravest? Nancy in a Nightmare on Elm Street. With I had Deborah in Visiting Hours as a runner-up because she puts herself in harm's way to use herself as bait. But I would say Nancy overall. Paul, uh, I, your runner-up was my choice, Deborah, uh, in visiting hours because yes, she has, she realizes she's got to go and save her her nurse friend because no one's going to help them because no one's listening as you both so eloquently spoke about during that episode. Oh, thank you. Plus, she's going up against a guy who's just trying to kill her. Yes, his whole focus yeah. has yes. been on her the, this entire film. Yeah, there's been some incidental, excuse me, deaths along the way, but. Uh, whereas Freddie's an equal opportunity killer, he'll he'll That's kill anyone true. who falls asleep if That's they true. if they're children of the of the parents that yep. killed him. So yeah, great point, Paul. Great point. Thank you. I'm also going Nancy from Nightmare, just because like at a certain point now, not only does she know figure out what's happening, she knows she kind of uses herself as mm-hmm. bait. Like, yeah, I, don't fall asleep. I'm gonna go in. Hmm. I'm gonna bring him out. Then you know. We'll beat the shit out of him. Yes. <laughs> Whatever you do, and, don't fall yeah. asleep. Don't fall asleep. And he asleep. does. Yeah. Fucking Glenn. Stupid Glenn. Bastard. And he pays dearly Yeah, for he it. does. Yep. All right. Of all of our final girls who survive their deadly encounters, who is the most likely to become a killer themselves? I'm not saying that if you survive trauma, you become a killer. <laughs> I'm just saying who is most likely driven to kill in this these fictional worlds in the sequel? Uh, Paul, let's start with you. I'll do away with the obvious answer where I think maybe, Megan, it was you, but perhaps both of you argued that Amanda in Sleepaway Camp was the final girl, so therefore that box is already ticked, if you will. And I'll go with Melissa Morgan from the end of Sweet 16 because oh, it seemed pretty obvious she was about to good she was about to start stabbing people the literal second the credits rolled. Yes. So, yeah, 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 you're right. She was going to kill as soon as the screen came <laughs> <in the black. laughs> Good choice. Good point. Yes. Thank you. Yep. 
So Angela in Sleepaway Camp was also, I immediately thought of her too, but I was like, well, but she's already the killer. So, you know, that's kind of cheating. Not even kind of, that's totally cheating. So instead <laughs> I went with Sandy from Humongous. Yep. So did I. Yes! So did I. Wow. wow. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Cause she's trapped on that Island and she's kind of re, you know, following in the footsteps of the, the poor tragic woman yes, before her. That makes perfect sense. Yep. Both great answers. Thank you. All right, who is the ultimate best dancer of all of our final girls, including Billy? Who had the best dance moves? Is that on the list? Do you have that on your list, Megan? No. <laughs> I don't. But I can tell you who the best dancer is. Okay, all it's, right, go ahead. It's Jamie Lee Curtis in Prom Night. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's Kim from Prom Night. Yeah. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> Yes, she argue. had the best dance moves. She sure disco did. Kim, man. <laughs> She's discoing up a store. Her brother was out there killing people, and she never stopped boogieing. <laughs> disco Inferno. <laughs> yeah, that's right. All right, we've done like the best killer bestes. Who's the best final girl, Megan, of all of our final girls? Nancy. Yeah, Paul. Yeah. Is there is there even a runner up? No, I mean watched? there is for me. I think Pam from The Prowler was was very brave oh. and. And She's did a, a really one. great job and, and had opportunities to step away and save herself and insisted on going with her, her boyfriend to to help. And, yep, and then, very true. And then is the one who ultimately pulls the trigger to, to end the, the madness in that film. But no, absolutely, Nancy. It's one thing to face up to a murderous slasher, as per Pam and many of the other final girls through these films. It's another to recognize you need to bring him from the dream world into the real world and then do Good battle boy. with him there. Well, maybe not by yourself. You thought your boyfriend was going to be there, but he's a puddle on the ceiling. So, <laughs> by yourself. Truth. Stone cold. <laughs> yeah, it's Nancy. I, there's, there's, there's no, uh, nobody else. So we've talked killers. We've talked final girls. Let's finish with movies themselves. What's the single worst slasher, Megan? You watched this entire run. The single worst one. I, I feel like you both know this is coming. Sledgehammer. Yes, it is. <laughs> worse than Ogroff. Just than, yeah. Just yeah, worse I, than Ogroff. I, I liked Mad Mutilator as rough as yeah. it is. So yes, definitely it's worse than that. Worse than Day of the Reaper? Yes. Only because of the awesome last 20 minute twist in that film. Yeah. And, <laughs> and you have the Florida beach, which is gorgeous. And I love a horror movie yeah. in a gorgeous location. I love that juxtaposition. <laughs> oh. And worse than Don't Answer the Phone and worse than Deadly Lessons. But again, it's a very. Worse than Schizoid? Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Definitely yeah. worse than Schizoid. Yes. Okay. What about for you, Jason? I disagree. Ooh. What is it? Oh. Silent, silent Rage. <laughs> I thought about that. I did think about Silent Rage, and I didn't pick it, but I thought so, about it. So, because it was such a, I don't want to say large, but in comparison to a lot of these other movies, a large studio release That's with a true. movie star. Should have done better. You're so right, and Jason. actors, yep. with actors in it, and it was just so boring. How, <laughs> I, I, I don't want to repeat myself, but how do you make, Chuck Norris in nut hugging jeans, mm -hmm. jumping three feet into the air legitimately, no wires, doing a spinning heel kick in cowboy boots <laughs> to a slasher cyborg zombie 
It's boring. <laughs> it is. And they did. Yeah. No sound, no Foley work, no score, no music. It's just, there's not even like the rustling of microphones. It was just the quietest, serene movie <laughs> I've ever experienced. It was bizarre. And once, um, Oh my gosh, Ron Silver. Once Ron Silver is out of the picture, the movie's oh, yeah. dead. Oh yeah. So silent, silent rage. I, I, I hated it. I hated that movie. <laughs> That's a I great pick. It. That's a great pick. Awful, awful film. Bear. We did worst. Let's do best. Paul, what is the best slasher? between 1980 and 1984. If you've been playing along at home, you've kept a track of our scores. There was no comparison. There was only one thing that got four and a half sharp objects for me. I'm pretty sure it's the same film that got five sharp objects for the two of you. It is, of course, a nightmare mm-hmm. on Elm Street for all the reasons we discussed on last week's episodes. It's probably more interesting to mention the honorable mentions, but I'll give you guys a chance to go first. Megan, you're going to surprise us? No, it's definitely a nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, without question. I do have I do have a second and a third though. Yeah. I mean, I, I Slumber Party Massacre is always has a soft spot in my heart. So that's my second um, good. favorite b- second best. Um and I would say The Fun House. I think The Fun House Ooh. is a really great one too. It's one that I've watched more than once that I and I think it's a really solid one too. But Nightmare on Elm Street far and away the best slasher. I'm in agreement with you too. I have no runners up, Paul. You have honorable mentions. What are those? Yeah, I really liked Slumber Party Massacre as well, Megan. Uh, the Prowler. Yeah, yeah. Completely oh, blew yeah. my mind and how good it was and that I'd never seen it or even heard of it until we started this particular podcast. The Burning and My Bloody Valentine. Yep. Those are all really... So 1981 is probably the best overall year. <laughs> 1984 has probably the best movie. Yep. Um, okay. Of all of the movies we watched, which do you think is the most tragically underrated, underseen, underappreciated? Uh, Paul. The Prowler. Let's, let's go back to you. For all the reasons I just explained, how did I not know about this this cult classic that people in the who love the subgenre know about and have been championing? The fact that just I missed it completely is is so beyond me and i feel so a little bit of ashamed actually to be to have done this podcast and <laughs> not have seen the prowl and not have known about it so uh this is my my apology to the fans of the subgenre and who have been listening so yeah i'm so glad that uh, you put this one on this jason and then we got to watch it megan how about you yeah the prowler is a great one and that's probably a runner-up for me um i have two I would say Visiting Hours overall, I think that is a film that got raked over the coals by critics and just has been kind of forgotten. And I think it is such a gem. And it's really a film that I truly enjoyed and found captivating and much in part to Lee Grant's great lead performance. Um, So that's my overall pick. But I also found The Final Terror to be such an underrated one, too. And and I thought that that was so good and well done. But visiting hours overall, I'm just I'm kind of I don't want to say I'm angry that I haven't seen it sooner, but I'm like, how is this not more like how do people not enjoy this more or see this more? Anyway, I think you're spot on. I, we already talked about it, Megan, that the critics what they're out to lunch, all mm. of them on visiting hours. Yes. It was way better than they gave it credit for. And I I am right there with you with Lee Grant. I think she's a very different type of heroine that we've seen in, in other slashers. Yes. 
because she's like an older woman. She's like fully grown. She's not like a teenager who's in danger. Mm-hmm. So that's, she's a professional woman, which we kind of get in the, in the beginning of the 80s, but we got away from and yeah. we went the Timmy Bopper route. And there's you know, social commentary and all that. But on top of everything else, I think Michael Ironside gives one of the best villain performances of the decade in that movie. Wow. Yes. Yeah, he's very good. As a greasy, slimy, spooky psycho it's just one of the best psycho performances of the decade in a decade of good psycho performances so it's worth it for the two leads i guess the protagonist and antagonist alone Mm -hmm. i agree agree with everything you said paul i give everything both of you said as far as underrated so i'm just gonna have to choose one and i'm gonna choose the burning now the burning has had a reassessment and a revival the prowler hasn't quite yet so but it's already chosen yeah, Jory, you've already chosen the Prowler. Um, I'm choosing the Burning. Yeah, um, just choice. because. Yeah, very good pick. It feels familiar, but it's so different in a familiar setting. It's a camp movie. It's a camp slasher. But what it does in that setting, and we talked about that all three of us at length, it makes a lot of different kind of choices. And um, even the ending is different. It just ends in this really weird kind of a place where like they some of them survive, but you don't feel like they've made it. Right. Right, because we've had that reveal that they're they're a good guy, he's kind of responsible for all of this, mm. and the main survivor is the like sleazy nerdy guy, and it's like oh, it's like it's a downbeat ending, even though they defeat Cropsy, mm-hmm. and that's weird. It's weird. So I, I for that reason alone, I love a downbeat ending. So I'm gonna go with the burning. Right. Okay, we are wrapping this amazing, difficult, treacherous. Tense, <laughs> fun, funny journey up. What are your final departing thoughts, Paul, and then Megan, and then I'll close this out. Can I can I jump in to say is it there was one more so bad it's good category? There was. Oh, there is. Yes, there is. Sorry. Yes. Oh my. So I'll I'll answer that if that's okay, and then absolutely we we'll need to wrap this one up. Pieces. That whole film made me laugh. There's a couple of full on kill sequences. <laughs> which is probably the only really, hey, if you're a slasher film fan, there's some incredible kills in this movie. But did I have a great time watching my good friend's great uncle chopping people up? You betcha I did. Did I lol at the incompetent police recruiting a college player to be their eyes on campus? Oh, yeah. And do I still smile fondly when I recall that same college player being castrated from nowhere in the final 30 seconds? Of course. (laughs) So stupid. My favorite bit is a world famous tennis player slash undercover right. cop. Undercover. Screaming, bastard! You bastard! Bastard! You bastard! <laughs> While we were out here fumbling with that music, the lousy bastard was in there killing her! Bastard! Bastard! Oh my God, that movie. (laughs) (laughs) When Paul Smith, they pan the camera over and Paul Smith is there stroking his chainsaw and smiling. (laughs) 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 Oh shit. That's like, that is comedy timing, but they weren't trying to be funny. It's perfect. That's great. Great choice. Megan, how about you? So bad. It's good. I had two. I had Fade to Black and I had Jason, one of your faves, Butcher Baker, Nightmare Maker. <laughs> so you put Fade to Black in So Bad It's Good? Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. 
I mean, not Why? so bad. Why? I don't know. I. Why did it land there for you? I don't know. I'd probably have to read. <laughs> it's been a while since I watched it, so I'd probably have to go back. Yeah, no, that's not a good pick because it's not bad. Never mind. But I'm going with the Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker. That I didn't like it as much as I didn't like it as much as you did. I'm surprised you picked it for so bad. It's good because I thought it was oh, fade to black. and overacting. Yeah. yeah, fade to black. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I take it back. That is. Why. <laughs> <laughs> that That's is fair. why I picked it. Yeah, yeah, because it's because it's over the top, because it's hammy. Yeah, because it's there, yeah. there's a campy element to it. So, which I really enjoyed, and it's it's, but it's not well done. But I really enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I stick back. I'm going back. Yes, I'm I'm, I'm leaning into it. Fade to black. <laughs> okay, there Good it on is. I think we all know the answer for me. Butcher Baker nightmare. Maker. Butcher Baker nightmare. Yeah. Maker. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> From that, the beginning that had Paul laughing because it was the first time he saw it, <laughs> where it's like the most catastrophic death sequence you've ever seen. Oh in my that God. Movie. There's no chance those people survive. No, no chance. They're not coming back in the third act to save the day. They are <laughs> just destroyed as human beings in the most exaggerated fashion. And Susan Tyrell's performance. Oh, honey, you're just so cute. But I, there's, I have another round steak in the refrigerator. Could you go get that for me? But <laughs> ah! <laughs> it takes her so many attempts to kill Julia Duffy and she can't get it done. How mean she is to that neighbor lady before getting her in the rain. Um, there's an umbrella in the closet. I said, just take it, leave. Like it's just the ups and the downs and the ins and outs of this absolutely shithouse crazy performance. Susan Terrell made it. <laughs> then there's Bo Fenson, who's in the most hard-boiled detective movie anybody has ever been in. Just homophobic to the point of ludicrousness. Oh my god! Like it's it's so like, bad. his his own partner is like, hold on, what are you talking about? I found that her high school boyfriend was tragically killed it's circumstances that are similar to the way his this kid's parents were killed and the body was never recovered and their parents were he goes through the litany of things that this woman obviously did for the last 30 years and he's like nope i think it's a love triangle gone wrong <laughs> just, partner, like, you know, just begging you yeah. oh, this part is like what are you talking about uh, yeah it was just uh yeah put your baker nightmare maker okay <laughs> Final thoughts, Paul. Well, as I hinted at the start, not hinted, said at the start of the episode, this has been one heck of a journey and I'm not sure what I expected when we set out upon this. I'm kind of amazed at one level that we got here. We, we finished this this season of the Slashers and we haven't even discussed whether we would do anything like this ever again at this particular point. I guess that's a discussion that will take place another day. But what has been a, an amazing part of it has been sharing this with the two of you, uh, not just because you are wonderful podcasters in your own rights, but because you're so good at this game and, and to uh, taking me on this journey with you, I feel uh, it's been an absolute pleasure and, and really wonderful experience for me. So I hope the listeners have, in, have enjoyed our journey. And as I said, maybe I lent a little bit too hard sometimes into being the, the asshole of the podcast, but I've, <laughs> I've enjoyed it. I've had a really great time. I want to thank you both for, for doing this with me and thank you, Jason, for coming to me with the idea and the invitation to be a part of this it's been a it's been an absolute pleasure and uh long live the slasher genre he's hoping it gets a bit of a what's the word a resuscitation or a resurrection that would that seems like quite appropriate 
Uh, I hope we yeah. get to see a lot more of it, and that you know, who knows that maybe we can be talking about in ten years' time, we can be talking about the early two thousand twenties as the renaissance period of the slasher. Paul, remember this: everybody needs an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so nice. See everyone. That's Jason for you. He whinges when I'm not nice, and then when I am nice, that's what he comes back with. Uh, no, it's been again awesome. Thank you so so much, both of you. Aw, thanks, Paul. Thank you, Paul. Megan, how about you? So, my I wanted to say this earlier, but there wasn't quite a good spot to say it. So I'm going to say it now because I think it'll dovetail nicely into my final final thoughts. So, Jason, I've been thinking extensively about the 1983 episode and about our conversation about sleepaway camp, and I've been pondering it over and over and over and reading more and more essays on it in defense of it, and especially a really great one by Harmony Colangelo, who is a trans writer who gives a very um, staunch defense of sleepaway camp. And so the reason I bring that up is not just to talk about that, although I think that that's important in and of itself, but I want to say that I'm because of conversations like that and because of all of the conversations that that the three of us have had, I see each film in a different way. I see the genre in a different way. Um, I And I am so grateful for you both inviting me on this journey and allowing me to take it with you. And it's been such a pleasure. It's been so much fun. I've learned so much. And it's just really been a fantastic experience and one I feel very grateful and honored to have been a part of. So thank you. Oh, thank you. The, okay. The level of excitement that happened among people online when we said you were going to be a part of this. There are so many people who are like, I wasn't going to listen, but now I'm going to listen. <laughs> or I was probably going to listen, but now I'm definitely going Aww, to listen. Oh, that's so sweet. And that is, you know, why I wanted you to be a part of this because I knew you're going to be, bring a perspective different than what I would. I knew, I already know Paul and I are going to disagree. <laughs> <laughs> that's baked in, and that is part of why people love. Uh, and have for so many years wanted us to do something together because they like that clash, that Siskel and Ebert. Yes. Sort of, do these guys like each other? Because <laughs> <laughs> they're really going at it about stuff. But I knew like the 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 secret sauce of doing this would be you and having you on and having your perspective Aww. and pulling back the curtain a lot. This is something we talked about off mic, but I'm going to bring it on mic. In no way, shape, or form did I want you to be involved in any form of tokenism of, well, we have to have a woman, or we have to have a feminist, or we have to have a person of differing sexual identity, or someone who identifies as queer, or bisexual, or trans, or gay, or whatever, right? As like mm -hmm. tokenism for the show. It was that you have an important voice as a person, as a film critic, apart from those things. And even more so because of those things on top of that. So like you have a seat at the table and not, you're not, you're, you're here because if you were just a boring old white straight woman, <laughs> you still, you, your, 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 your ability to do this still gets you a seat at the table. Does that make sense? Am I communicating effectively enough? It's hard to talk about this stuff. I mean, you know, I'm crying, so <laughs> I think you might be communicating it effectively. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, and not to get too mushy, but like, 
it is hard as a, I mean, it's hard podcasting. It's hard writing about film and especially as a woman and, you know, especially if you're queer, like, and I'm luckily I am white in that regard, because if you're a person of color, it's even harder. You know, I'm cis. If you're trans, it's even harder. Like if you're disabled, it's even harder. Like it gets harder and harder. And, you know, and I can only imagine how hard it is because I know how hard it is for me. So to hear you say that is, I mean, it's such a compliment because I respect you so much as a person and in this field. But then on top of it, like, I don't always feel accepted. And, you know, whether it's my own imposter syndrome or whether it's just society at large. And so to hear that is just such wonderful validation. And just I'm just so touched beyond words. Like, I can't even fully express how much that means to me. So thank you. You're welcome. And I, it's, it's from the heart. And I, I think like, I don't want to be grandiose at all about this project, the side project that we've done. But my hope is, is that the conversations that we've had here, even with sharp disagreements and completely different perspectives and different opinions or times that none of us liked the movies <laughs> or, none of, you know, or all of us liked a movie that maybe Maybe like visiting hours, like or at least two of us really yeah. liked it. Right? <laughs> a lot of people don't like. Right. Like, it's my hope that at the end of it, because there's so much that's broken in fandom. Period. Yeah. Fandom. Yeah. Period. Doesn't matter what you're a fan of. It's broken. The discourse, quote unquote, is just so broken, and it's so vitriolic and so toxic. Almost no matter what it is that you're talking about. It's like so hard to enjoy anything anymore. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. <laughs> it yeah, really is. Yeah. And I, my hope is that even if you, the listener, didn't agree with one or all of us at, at a given time or maybe at all throughout the duration of this, my hope is that the exercise of having these conversations and having the disagreement and conversating through the disagreement is a different way is a is a path forward <laughs> <laughs> that you can love stuff that you can be passionate yes. about stuff for completely different reasons and it's okay to be different and it's okay to have your passions but not have swords in your hands i don't know i don't know put the knives down <laughs> <laughs> love what you love be passionate about it defend it but but listen to i hope that we listen to each other and i think we did i hope that came across to our audience and and at that note we'd love to listen to you now we've talked ad nauseum we'd love to hear from you if you haven't left us a review apple podcast spotify please do so that lets us know what you think about what we've done here whether or not it's worth exploring doing it again in the future Paul's not, you know, probably open to this, but I'd be more than willing to do a, a second season, but maybe we call it the Fellinis, where we only talk about Ooh. Fellini films. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Editor's note it is at this point that Paul would have protested rather vigorously, but as you may be able to tell, he dropped out of the recording about five minutes previously. That, you know, maybe it's the Truffauts, you know, we only talk about Francois Truffaut films, the French New Wave. The French New Wave boom from 19-whatever to 19-whatever. <laughs> yeah, so we'll see. We'll see. But um, thank you, both of you, for being willing to do this. This was a – I want to speak to my, the audience now and just say this was a huge commitment on the part of two very busy, already stretched very thin people who found a way in the midst of international travel – 
international film festivals, weekly podcasting, weekly trying to make a living <laughs> and all of the above to make this possible and to add another 40 films on their list in a concentrated dose and say, Hey, let's, let's, let's go for this. It was, it was very generous of you. So thank you both for uh, your generosity and uh, the, the conversation that you brought and the challenges that you brought um, gave me things to think about areas for me to grow, to be a better person, to be a better podcaster. And boy, if, if talking about a bunch of horror movies can do that to you, just imagine, just imagine the kind of place the world could be. Did you think it would end on this note, Megan? I didn't. I didn't expect it to be so mushy and so profound. I love it. Yes. Our listeners are I... probably like, what the fuck is this? I love it, though. I love it. I love the sensitivity and the sentimental nature. Love we've it. let the blood, we've let the blood flow. Now we're letting the love flow. Yeah. I think we need that on a t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, it works in a lot of different ways. Right, right. But... <laughs> it really does. Uh, we'll think uh. about that. Okay, we want to hear from you. Megan, one last time, where can they find us all on the internet? You can find us at The Slashers on Letterboxd and The Slashers Podcast on Instagram. One final thank you. I want to thank you to the podcasting partners of Megan and Paul. Please check out their main shows. Paul has the countdown review show. They do still do movies. They still do TV, but they count down things in order of awesomeness that so you don't have to. It's with, uh, he's got a great rapport and a great uh, chemistry with a lifelong friend of his, uh, Wayne. So go ahead and check that out. Megan, you are one of Three film critics over at Spoiler Piece Theater. You're all professional film critics, and you're you're spoiling the shit <laughs> out of uh, a lot of major new releases. And then you you do repertory movies too, and you got a Patreon and all kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. if you want to hear Megan wax heavy academic uh, <laughs> with 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 two folks, not only not only, but bring her unique perspective. Uh, go ahead and check out her main gig over there at Spoiler Piece, and check out all of Megan's writing. Megan Megan. Find her on social media. Uh, she writes for all kinds of different outlets and is a member of all kinds of different organizations. Follow her writing, uh, support her, follow, find her on Letterboxd, do all that sort of stuff. And then I'm over at Binge Movies at Binge Movies Lives on Instagram at Binge Movies on Blue Sky. <laughs> That's a thing. <laughs> at Binge Movies on X. Uh, you can find our show and all your favorite podcast platforms. We have a Patreon as well, as does Paul. So, Uh, If you want to continue the journey with us as we go our separate ways, we'd love to have you. Until next time, whatever you do, take a look behind you. If you hear a heavy breath, you better start running. Make sure you don't trip over any rocks or any leaves or any invisible things. Just keep running as hard as you can, as fast as you can. And don't let them catch you.